Hello. Hello. What's up, guys? This is uh, Movie Smoothie episode 203. No specific film in mind, no specific topic in mind, but just kind of like, what have we watched lately? What's going on? What huge trailer just dropped the day we're recording this? You know, those kind of things, right? (laughs) And also, now that I'm finally an official member of MoviePass, I think we can talk a little bit about the MoviePass experience and and what that is like and what that what that means for your for your movie going. Because I have I have some thoughts. But before we go much further, I should tell you guys what my name is. I am John. (laughs) I'm Steve. I'm Ron. Do you feel that you've been seeing a lot of movies lately? I I have not. You have not. What about you, Steve? You've been keeping up with the latest. You know, I, I, I have been seeing a decent amount, I mean, all things considered, and I've, I've had an opportunity to watch a couple of movies that I uh, I guess I kind of fell behind on back in the summer um, that are now out on Blu-ray. Um, so yeah, I've seen some movies in the theater, I've seen some movies at home, so uh, I, I have been keeping busy and trying to, you know, catch up as much as possible, getting into these last two months, you know, two and a half months of like trying to see everything so that we can do... Mm-hmm. You know, the best of list and favorite films of the year and the award season coming up. There's so many good movies coming out or, or movies that look good that I, I need to get these things seen so, so they don't get lost in the shuffle of all these other great films coming up this month. Yeah, I was realizing uh, once my once my movie pass card arrived in the mail and I started planning out <laughs> my week, this is the month or two where everything starts coming out. <laughs> Very true. Since I've brought up MoviePass a couple times, I was just wondering, have you guys been using that that much? Because the app, to me, is a little bit, like, I don't feel like it informs you enough about what you're doing when you start it out. No. But now that I know how to use it, I, I get it now. But at first, I was a little mystified by it. I mean, over the over the years, I mean, the app has improved. Um, for their level of improvement and frequency of updates, it, it's actually gotten quite better over the last, like, three or four months. Um, but it's not a good app. Um you you really do you really do have to know how it works to feel comfortable doing it because it's not very um like the user experience of the app is not very refined and it's it is kind of clunky and it's it's not like uh the GUI's not very attractive for being um you know something that is launching this huge like plan that they're obviously having this onslaught of people having a user experience with their app that I can't imagine is anything different than what you're experiencing now, John, um, or even you, Ronald. I mean, I think I'm a little more inclined to be like, I'm fine with it only because I've seen it get marginally better over the years. And, um, you know, I, I hope that they continue to improve the app. Me personally, I just feel like I know the three steps I have to do to make it work. And that's all I care about. Like, it's like, Oh, what's the theater? What's the time check in? Like, that's it. That's all I have to do. And like, that's, and for the times of, I, I mean, I, I haven't been able to use it a ton since, since we got, we we renewed it this summer and I got Aaron signed up, but, um, we have used it a couple times and, and we were able to go use it this past weekend to see Coco and, um, and the experience was pretty seamless. I mean, it was, the app worked and the credit card worked and I mean, you know, I didn't have I haven't had any issue personally with it since I started using it again with this new rollout that they're going for. If anyone's listening and doesn't remember, I think we've talked about it before on the show, or if you haven't yeah. heard about it. It's yeah. basically a subscription service where you can see up to a movie a day for a flat monthly fee, which just recently they gave a special annual fee, which was even lower than the monthly fee. Their system does seem to be built on the notion that a lot of people are going to buy this card, and maybe now especially they're going to buy the the annual fee. They're going to plunk down, you know, uh, eighty nine bucks, and maybe not use it that much. I still don't see how already already with me just having it half a week, I've used it so much that I feel like I'm stealing. Right, right, right. I wonder if the system can possibly be that they're getting enough data, they're mining data from users or something that they're selling or they're leveraging. There's got to be some way. Oh, absolutely. Uh, other than just these guys having enough money to bleed money for uh, 18 months or something, I heard some number of how much time they basically could fund without making a dime, you know. Uh, so it, supposedly they've got a plan in place for that. But it, it is a little too good to be true. And I realize the only thing that could improve the experience for me and make it more fun 
you know, knowing that I've already paid for the year and that if I've got time on any given day, yeah. I can pop over and see a film, is they should just rename the service to You're Stealing It. <laughs> There's a lot of people out there that, that don't want to pay for movies. And this is about as close to it as you can get. Right. Um, so, yeah, I think if they just call it You're Stealing It or, or You're Stealing Movies, <laughs> um, I think that they might even sign more people up. But, yeah, how are the theaters doing with this? I guess they get paid full price when I scan that little card. It's a it's a pretty incredible system. But it has to mean the system's broken, right? I mean, the only reason it's working is because the system's already broken. People just aren't going to see movies like they used to. I, that might be what it is. It is it is a pretty enticing deal, and I think that more pe- once more people find out about it, I think that movie experiences are kind of gonna be like that. I actually discovered another service. If I could talk about this for one second, please. Have you guys ever heard of Movies Anywhere? Yeah. Oh, my God. So I've been using it for like maybe a week, and it's kind of changed my whole perspective on movie transactions and getting movies. So for anybody that doesn't really know what it is, it's uh, a couple of studios have agreed that basically if you have a movie purchase on one service, like say if I bought on Google, then you deserve to have it on another service. There are two studios that aren't kind of playing along right now. I think it's Paramount and Lionsgate. Um, But there are uh, pretty much every other studio is playing along. So, for example, if you buy a movie on, say, Apple, right, Um, and the movie is available on Amazon Video or another service that's playing along with the service, that movie automatically shows up if you purchase it in the other service. And on top of that, it also gives you a front-facing app that you can use on devices that don't support a service. So, say if I bought a movie on Vudu and I'm on a device that doesn't use Vudu, but it has the Movies Anywhere app, I could still stream that movie from that service. It's, it's, It's kind of incredible if it's done right, (laughs) if you're kind of a movie purchaser. So, um... I've been using that for a week, and I'm I'm pretty impressed. Is everything just changing so fast for how these companies make their money? You know, when you were mentioning studios that are participating and studios that aren't, it made me think of, of another two-studio story that I was just reading. And I don't know if I have all the facts on it yet, but that uh, Fox-Disney deal that was spoken of in past tense uh, a few weeks back is now supposedly back on, or at least talks are still going on for Disney to perhaps purchase a lot of Fox's IP. Wow, it's a little unclear what that actually be buying, but for the first time ever, I I, th- I heard that story. And it, what we initially did, as a lot of people did, was say, okay, think of the the properties that Disney will have under one umbrella that they can bring together. Say, the Fantastic Four and the Avengers or the X Men stuff can be brought into to the MCU, and that seems tantalizing for a movie or two or three or twelve, um, but. <laughs> It also makes me wonder, since those franchises are doing well enough right now for Fox, what does that say about the industry that a company like Fox would even consider selling rights to content like that to another studio? Like they're doing fine, you know what I mean? Right, like they, right. maybe they're not maybe they're not doing what they could be doing theoretically with some of this stuff. But it just made me realize: is is it getting to the point where even something a company with as much of a legacy as and as much under their roof as Fox, that it might be worth it for them to sell rather than to continue making money off of it because the the future of this industry is so uncertain? I mean, are we going to be looking down the barrel of two or three major companies, or is it Disney going to own everything in, in 10 years? Like It feels like it. I don't know if you've been following it, Steve, but it really makes me wonder about like what is the future of movies as we know it. I mean, yeah, you're, everything you're saying, I, I agree with. I mean, it's, it's, it is interesting. It's going to be a, a very dynamic next, I think even just like a half of, you know, a decade, like five years from now, it's going to be so dynamically different. I mean, I think that the motivations for somebody like Fox working with Disney, I mean, I don't know what the, you know, I don't think they've really disclosed like what a lot of the content deals are, but I mean, you know, you get access to a lot of things when you become a part of a company like Disney. And I mean, if Fox is still going to operate in some way, um, you know, or some ha- have some autonomy, but maybe have some sort of access to like Disney distribution or marketing or things like that. I mean, that could be something that is hugely beneficial to a studio. I mean, of, of any caliber. 
Um, but it may not just be Disney that starts doing that. I mean, there's a, you know, like Universal has been a very profitable uh, studio over the past couple of years. And I mean, I hope it doesn't become something like that where like many industries out there, you know, they, it, everything becomes consolidated and there's really only a couple major players left. I mean, who knows? I mean, if, if the industry continues to downturn and they don't adapt, you know, or fight ways to adapt and to circle, I mean, it's, it's inevitable. I mean, like it's going to change so drastically eventually that the, the way they have the system set up, not just theatrical distribution versus video on demand or in your home, but like just the studio system itself, I I feel like it's going to change. Um, but it's also really interesting how it ties into something like MoviePass to kind of circle back to that topic for a second because that's something that's so dynamically different here, at least in the States, that I don't really see what a distributor or a, um, you know, like an exhibitor, like a theater chain or whatever, I don't know really what they would have to complain about with a system like that because like you said, John, the way it is structured is that, you know, it is just being processed by a credit card. You know, they're getting full price. They're getting people into theaters. You know, getting people into theaters equals more concessions, equals more money for the exhibitor. Because, I mean, that's really where exhibitors make their most money. Like friends of mine and management at different chains around here in Baltimore, I kind of just probe them all the time wondering about that kind of stuff. And they make their money off of concessions. They don't make their money off of tickets. Studios make their money off of tickets. So I don't really know personally, like I, you know, you hear AMC fighting movie pass and not being accepted in a couple major markets or whatever it is. I don't get that. I mean, like all that's doing is driving people to the theater, like you going a couple times in the week that you've already had it versus maybe once, you know, in a week where you don't have it, you know, you're going to the movies more. You're probably, or in, in some cases, maybe spending money on concessions that you wouldn't have spent had you stayed home. Or, or done something else. You know, it's just like those kinds of things are encouraging to me. I see that as a positive thing, you know, and uh, it's just, it's just a really weird, it's a really weird flux that it's in right now. And the whole Disney Fox thing is just like one of the, one of the many like odd things happening, like the tentacles of, of all the change that's going on. But I mean, I also think Fox is a studio that really hasn't done amazingly well in the past five, 10 years. Um, and while they do have a lot of properties for licensing and things like that, I just think that the way it's coming down is that, you know, well, what's the best place to be aligned with if shit gets really crazy? And is there a better place than Disney at this point? You know what I mean? That's kind of like the mindset I see. Well, let's, uh, you know, we, we said we would talk about some movies, but before we do that, we do want to talk about, I think, the new trailer that just came out. Of course, when this episode comes out, it'll be old news to the listener, right, but right. to us, it's brand new news. We just saw the trailer for Avengers Infinity War, right on schedule, six months out from the movie, so it, it's not too far ahead, but I feel like this trailer was a long time coming because they showed footage at uh, Comic-Con over the summer, so there was all this talk about what they had shown, and they finally let the general audience in on it. What did you think of the what you saw ronald um the first thing i thought was uh this this villain that we've that we're seeing um have we earned the right to fear him as much as he's supposed to be fearing in this one Um, you're talking about thanos 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 uh and if you didn't know that it'd be very easy for someone to say that because the mythology of Thanos hasn't really been explained beyond two or three movies. Um, so I think, so here's, here's the first thing I thought civil war. We just saw a big fight that was done incredibly well. Now we're doubling or maybe even tripling the amount of people involved. And I'm wondering if not even just because of the tests that the Russo brothers have to do, can can this just be maintained as a franchise? Is it going to have the same intensity that Civil War had? Because Civil War was done really well. It was a perfect combination of uh, good economy of time, uh, good placement, good economy when it came to character appearances, character dialogue. It was woven in well enough. The chemistry was there. And I think that some of that might get lost in this. I know that sounds a little crazy because, like, you know, everybody's so pro-Marvel. 
but there's something about the way that this felt that didn't feel quite as exciting as I felt when I saw Civil War. And some of it kind of feels like the the problem that we've discussed from Marvel in the past is these mediocre villains. And if Thanos is going to be one of these villains that just spouts out really cool sentences, punches people in the face, makes things explode, and then they beat the shit out of them. It just, I can't really get the gist of how important this battle supposed to be so i don't know i don't know how you guys felt about it but that's that's the first thing that came to mind i don't know i kind of feel like they 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 do seem to have to put their uh foot to the pedal here with getting something going with thanos and i i mean and we do still have a black panther film coming out in a couple months that you know is i'm sure going to do something to bridge some sort of uh storyline i mean especially because uh, he and Wakanda are like featured so prominently in this teaser. Um, I, I can't, I, I can't imagine there not being something happening in that film that uh, kind of leads us a little smoother into Infinity War. Um, quick question for you guys. I mean, you can just kind of clarify this for me. Is Thanos supposed to be in both parts of this of the Avengers three and four? My understanding is he is. Okay. They've been very cagey about it, you know, which I think is their way of trying to preserve some surprise as to how this movie ends going into the next one. But I would not be surprised to see this movie end in a darkest before the dawn kind of way right? where he is victorious. The only problem with that is if he's victorious, the world is like a flaming ruin while this is going (laughs) on. So you can't have a movie set between that and the next part that's like the ant the Ant-Man and Wasp movie running around having a caper. Do you know what I'm saying? I, yeah. So I, I think they're going to have to start doing some tricky things with the timeline. But in, in short, yes, theoretically, this would be parts one and two of Infinity War, but then they changed that. They said that uh, Avengers 4 right. won't be called part two of Infinity War. It'll be something else. Right, so right. They, they just haven't revealed the name partially, maybe maybe because it it would, uh, you know, they like to make everything a, a news story uh, at a certain point on the calendar. But maybe there's something revealing about the title for the second one that would that would tip you off to this one. But I think this is going to be their best chance to have an Empire Strikes Back sort of film that, that can be downcast, but not leave you feeling too desolate because you know there's a, there's another bookend coming to it. Right. Right. I don't I don't anticipate that they're going to get through the whole story in one movie because I don't think that that I think what you were saying, Ronald, uh, it would be way too much to to chew to say, um, all right, uh, we're going to set up Thanos as a character. We're going to get these Infinity Stones together and he's going to defeat every hero and then they're going to rise up against him. You know, I don't think you can do all that in one movie. I think that they're too smart to try to do all that in one movie. I think in the comics, Thanos is a more interesting character than than you might see yet. He's a bit insecure and he has a kind of mercurial side to him and he kind of does everything he does for love. I don't know if that's going to be part of the movie, but there's room to make him different and more interesting. But yeah, at this point, he just is a guy who's been lingering in the background and I think all these, you know, you you might say, oh, they've been building him up, but I don't think it qualifies as building him up just to throw in a scene with him after the credits on a couple of movies. Um, really, the Guardians of the Galaxy films are the only ones where he's been any kind of a presence in terms of what he what he is and what his influence is, and that's through his daughters, uh, through Nebula and uh, Gamora. So yeah, they haven't really done anything to set him up. So I think it's a bit of a, of a like they've botched the the job of making him into anything of a character up to this point. So this movie has a lot to do, and and I think they must know that, right? Yeah, I mean that that's that's kind of what I'm at. Like I'm I'm clarifying that because I mean I don't think it really bothers me as much that I that maybe they haven't done as much to this point that we may have preferred them do. Because, I mean, I feel like if, if Black Panther does some story setting and, it, like I said, it seems like it will, um, I don't know. I kind of feel like the idea of having the, the something that's two parts and having a character like that be, you know, span across those parts. I mean, that's a lot of storytelling in these movies. I mean, you know, if it's, if it's five hours of uh, Infinity War, you know, Avengers 3 and 4 conclusion of this of this next cycle or whatever... I don't know. I just, I kind of feel like they could do a lot in those in in those two films, and I, and I kind of feel like that could be a good experience because it could take you by surprise, maybe in terms of how much they are able to kind of put into that character. Because I mean, let's think about it. Like, really, 
all of the other major characters in that film have had their films to to set the stage for them. You know, we have all these heroes that we're about, and we even have, you know, a character like Loki who's still around. Like, all these characters, by the time it comes out, we have everything we need to know about them. So it's kind of cool, I think, a little bit, that these films potentially could really just be about the biggest villain to, to be seen in this cinematic universe. And that's what they're about. They're not about the, the heroes that we've spent, you know, 17 movies learning about to this point. Like there's this, this villain that's going to cap the end of this whole, you know, like this whole series of Marvel films. And I don't know, maybe that happens. Maybe it doesn't, but I kind of think it's cool that it could be something where like, he is the point of these films. Like he is. And it seems like that from the stories and from what I understand, um, of where the story's going, but I don't know. That's I, like I definitely agree with a lot of what you're saying, both of you guys. But like I kind of almost try to, I'm trying to be optimistic because I really have been sold on how Marvel has handled pretty much most of their things to this point. So I I can't imagine that there's not going to be a massive effort, you know, between now and Black Panther and Infinity War coming out to have some sort of table setting, and you know when that film comes out to really spend a lot of time you know, with, with Thanos and like, you know, with developing who that character is possibly in that film. Well, the Russo brothers said that he's kind of the main character of the movie and that this is an opportunity to almost base a film around a villain. Right. Right. I would be so much more worried about infinity war if it was directed by Joss Whedon or Zack Snyder or somebody like that than I am with the Russo brothers. Yeah. What you were saying, Ronald, about balancing the characters is just let's just hope that they what they did with Civil War was kind of a taste of what they can do here, which is to say, yes, they're throwing everybody in the blender, but they made everybody feel like they had a place and everybody. It wasn't like they tried to give everybody an arc. Uh, They just gave everybody like a beat or a moment where they got to be themselves. And and I think the cool thing about these movies is at this point they can have Thor drop by Doctor Strange's place. And it can be a quick scene. And you're not wondering for the rest of the movie, well, where's right. Doctor Strange? Right, right, right. So this movie might might have some of that working in its favor, too, that you can kind of bounce around. And we, as you said, Steve, we know who these characters are. So we don't need to spend a lot of time with Tony Stark to imagine right. what might be on his mind. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, I'm optimistic in the extreme. I think this is going to be the movie where they, they make some of those people who want, want stakes and want consequences. I think this will be the movie where they get to play some of that out. Like me. Oh, I mean, I, I want it, too. My hugest complaint. Yeah, I think we, we all want that that somebody has to die man i'm still really looking forward to it it still is a very promising i love the marvel movies with the exception of the first two thors i in alt age of ultron which was also one of those movies that i really didn't like but the russo brothers came through with winter soldier and civil war which are my two favorite two of my favorite action movies in general not just yeah. superhero movies and they're, they're good at telling stories so i'm they just have a lot to fucking cover, and that just seems mm-hmm. a little daunting, even just even as a just a person watching, you know. So, well, I don't really want to see a three-hour Marvel film, you know. <laughs> I mean, what do you think, Steve? How does your bladder feel about a movie like that? Um, well, my bladder is in great condition, so I can hold it. Don't don't you don't you doubt that? Um, <laughs> I mean, honestly, I don't care. Like, I, I, I'm at the point with, with the Marvel movies, especially with the movies that, like, you know, like you guys, the Russo brothers have, I agree, and I feel strongly that they've done a great job, and, and there's a reason that they're being given, you know, the keys to close this out. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of confidence in, in their filmmaking and in, and in their vision for this storyline, but I don't really care how long it is because I'm all about it. Like I'm, I'm super, I'm super stoked on this. The trailer, this teaser is great. These movies have been so good recently, and you know, especially where I feel like the Avengers storylines going after Civil War, and how much I fucking love Captain America now. Like I will watch it. I don't care how long it is. Make it as long as you want it. Like <laughs> I just want to see what happens. I want to see. I want to see what happens to these characters, and uh, and and I'm all in. So whatever it is, I'm there. <laughs> cool. Well, well, let's talk about some movies that we've actually seen. I, I, I actually wanted to make it out to a movie that I know you two saw. Could you guys talk to me a little bit about uh, Roman J. Israel Esquire? Whew. I'll let Ronald go with that one. Um. Okay, so I'll, I'll give you a summary of my feelings. Uh, How was Denzel Washington? 
Denzel Washington is fucking incredible in this movie to me. But the movie is shit. And and what happens is, is it's almost like it's it's like the movie's eating itself. So um 15, 20 minutes into the movie, I lean over to Aaron and I'm like, I don't understand how this movie is at like a 40% or 35% at that point. What happens to this story? Because right now it's it's fun. He's witty. It has some sadness to it. I could see Denzel acting his ass off, trying to, you know, make the best that he can out of the script. And then it just kind of goes downhill. The second and third act are almost unwatchable unwatchable it's a really fucking terrible movie and I, it bothered me that much I, I didn't understand how it started so so good and then it got so bad so quickly and didn't really have like a compass it didn't really have like a, a what felt like a good beginning middle and end it just felt kind of all over the place and and I would have loved the Colin Farrell and uh Denzel relationship if it were written better it had a really cool dynamic they had a really cool dynamic that I thought could have worked but right. man that movie was trash it was garbage Steve what do you think I'm sorry no nah, I mean I pretty much agree with you I mean although although I don't I don't really personally feel that Denzel was that great in the movie I feel you like think so? no because I kind of felt like it was like I felt like he was acting. Like I felt like it was like an mm. over-the-top kind of thing. At at a few points, it, it didn't feel like a lived-in character. It kind of felt like Denzel acting to be like really impressive or something like that. Like I don't I don't know. I really like Denzel, and I, I really think he's one of the one of the better actors out there right now. Um, but I don't know. I also fear that like sometimes these actors become a little too seated in the lane that they're in and and I don't know yeah. like this character doesn't doesn't feel and like anything special to me like it, it seems almost like it was trying to be really special but by doing that it's like one of those things that seems so obvious to me and transparent um especially like you said after you get past like the first 30 minutes of the movie because then it just seems to fall apart even more. Like this, you know, it, it's it's putting up enough of a show that it's impressing you. But then as it gets into the second and third act, you know, it it, it start the cracks are starting to, sh- to show. And I, and I think that there's a lot of unevenness in the performance once it gets past like the halfway mark in the movie, and you really start to kind of get a little lost in like what this character's motivations are anymore. And um, and I do agree. I actually really liked Colin Farrell in it, and I wish there was a little more to his character and his and his moral dilemma and you can see there's a little bit of a challenge in that character's you know where he sees himself professionally and as a, and as a person and, and and those scenes were actually some of the better scenes and I agree with you um but I don't know and like it just seemed to be trying to do a lot and a lot of on the nose stuff and I I was not a really big fan of this movie really at all <laughs> I don't know. Like it just became like really predictable too in like the last it like did. 20 minutes. You're just like up up up. I mean, I don't know. Like there's some things that just felt so obvious that like whoa, oh, that's convenient. Like this a lot of coincidence and like I don't know, just like weird weird story choices that didn't seem consistent with like the first 30 minutes of this character and it happens yeah. so quickly like there's literally a point in the movie where i feel like they say he's been with us for a week and i feel like i thought you were supposed to think he's been there for like three months you know like yeah. when he goes to work for this firm that colin farrell has they have a meeting and they're like oh yeah he's been here for like x amount of days and i'm like shit i i thought this movie was like time lapsing like three months later and it literally was like the same week this stuff is supposed to be happening that quickly to this character and somebody has tried and 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 kind of firm in how he believed in certain things in the first 20 minutes of this movie like is just not that character at all anymore and that just was really bad to me and i don't know it just wasn't a fan it was a lot of like wasted storylines like that there's a huge storyline i think that you're referring to where they basically say that he was like a part of the civil rights movement and he he right. did a lot exactly. of vouching for people he did a lot of footwork uh when it came right. to right. the you know the the movement 
and and none of that <laughs> none of that counts there's one scene where he goes and has this really really good emotional sort of breakdown and that's it it's like 10 minutes it could it could have been cut out of the movie and it wouldn't have made a fucking difference and for some right. reason they tried to you know he would he would on occasion look at something from the time when he was active in the civil rights movement and it had nothing to do with anything that had to do with the story it was just really bad yeah. it was really bad yeah, i agree denzel needs another agent man I never thought I'd ever say that in my life. He needs another agent. I don't know what kind of fuck shit they let him do, man. He needs to he needs to reel it in and just get in some good movies and maybe just be a second or third on the bill, man. There's something about these fucking movies that he's in where he's basically himself with a wig on. You know, like I think that he just needs to he needs to deal with a, a a director that can reel that bullshit in. And I know he may not like Tarantino. I keep bringing up Tarantino. Maybe another Spike Lee movie. Maybe so- something to shake things up from the, like, seven, eight movies he's been doing that have been fucking infuriating. I'm just, I don't know. Well, I mean, he definitely seems like he's kind of in the driver's seat of what he wants to do. I mean, yes, I, 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 that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I kind of felt like, you know, that recently I haven't really been as impressed with him as I would like to be. I mean, you know, I, I just feel like, um, I mean, beyond this one, like the Magnificent Seven was very average to me. Um, what was the one he was in last year with Viola Davis? Oh, Fences. That was good. Fences was really good. Yeah, and I mean, and that and that was good, but that's like something that he's done before, and you know, I don't, I don't know. I, I feel like, I feel like he's got to get away from like Equalizer and Equalizer Two, and like find yes. something else because I don't know. Like I, I just feel like I haven't really been very impressed with, uh, with the the actor Denzel Washington recently beyond him playing like. Of, I don't know. I just feel like he plays a very similar character in a lot of these films, and it's like uh, Harrison Ford disease. It, it is. It, it, it's becoming that, and that's concerning because he's an exciting actor and he's done some really interesting stuff. And I, I feel like he's kind of crossing into that. He's coming down with early symptoms of that disease. The Bobby De Niro disease. <laughs> the uh, the Harrison Ford disease. It's also known as bored actors syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> Has everybody seen Coco? No, I haven't seen it yet. I've actually seen it twice, and I fucking love it. Pixar is one of those companies we've talked a lot about how they've they've gone through these phases of being true innovators and, and making these excellent movies, and movies that are almost kind of terminally excellent, movies that are almost obsessed over and manipulated almost too much, you know, to, to create this effect so that when they when they have something special, it really gets you, but when it's not special, it can feel sort of lifeless. Uh, so yeah, I, you've already said you loved it, but how do you feel Coco stacks up in that in that Pixar tradition of kind of creating a world and, and introducing the rules of it, and then letting you see how that plays out? I think it hits all of those check boxes. I mean, I think it's I think it's amazing in its own right, just simply because it is an entirely you know Mexican Latino story, and you know, and it doesn't feel. Like it's a bunch of white dudes making a movie of what they think that's about. Like you can tell that a lot of care and attention and and time went into uh, uh, making a movie with with respect to a culture, with detail to a culture, with a lot of um, I don't know. It it just it it felt so natural for me to watch a movie. And, and admittedly not knowing a lot about that culture or rather about that 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 event that the movie's based around the Dia de los Muertos like I, I I was excited to learn about this thing watching this film and and the little details that they put in and the way it's framed around you know family and memories and 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 never forgetting things and it I just thought it was incredible honestly like I, I think it's so important that they made this movie I think it's so smart that um, they did a lot of work with different groups, like with focus groups and, you know, with the, um, different branches of Pixar and Disney reaching out to the appropriate parties to really be aware of how to properly tell this story. And, 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 and I feel like 
at, I mean, and, and I've read a lot of things and listened to a lot of reviews with people like, you know, from that culture and the fact that it's like the biggest film ever in Mexico's film history already is like a huge testament to how it's being received by the people of that country. And um, it's just an exciting thing because I feel like it, it kind of is a nice step into new territory for Pixar um, outside of creatures and white people. It's nice to uh, you know see that this is done. This was done properly, and um, mm-hmm. has been received so well by by so many different kinds of moviegoers. And also, it, it's a little thing, but it's super important that the cast is actually Latino or Mexican, and it's not just a bunch of white people, you know, voicing these characters that look like what we think they look like and act like. So um, I don't know. Like I, I just felt like that. I could feel that in the movie, and that was like amazing to me. And and after seeing it a second time. Um, I, I actually enjoyed the movie even more watching it again. Um, and I don't know. I just, I really, really liked Coco a lot. And I, I don't know that it like falls into, you know, the, 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 the top five for me, maybe, may, you know, but I, I really felt very strongly about my experience with this movie, both times seeing it. And, and once again, they've, uh, they managed to, to basically invert, uh, what Up did so well in its first 15 minutes and it's fi- and this film's final 15 minutes um, and just had me, you know, like emotionally. I-, I was so into these characters and this family and this kid and his, uh, you know, his his great-great-grandmother. And I don't know, it just, it just worked on every level for me. And uh, mm-hmm. I was a big fan of it. As much as I loved Kubo and the Two Strings, we talked about the fact that none of the lead acting roles are right, right, were, right. are Asian or Asian American in that. You know, there were some there were some cameos in the background, um, and a lot of secondary characters, but none of the leads. And so seeing the credits of this, it was just so great to realize that I didn't recognize every name. Exactly. Exactly. And it did have that Pixar thing of, you know, you're going to see a movie that's going to be just shy of two hours and it's going to be very deliberate and it's going to go through all these emotional beats and it's going to take the characters down to this point and it's going to bring these things in. You know, it's got all those story points, those Pixar story points. Right, um, right. But it was it was done so well that if maybe if it had been one minute longer, I would have thought it was too deliberate and a little too in love with its own magic. But it, it hit just the right spot and it had, the you know, the requisite humor. And a couple of moments that really got me, uh, you know, beyond just choked up. There were some, there was, I was squirting tears yeah. uh, at, at least yeah. a couple points. Yeah. Contrasting how f- fun it was to see the movie, uh, sitting through the 21 minute Olaf short that was before the movie, that was like a, basically a, a, a Christmas special, basically a frozen Christmas special that looked like something they would air on the Disney Channel. How did you feel about that, Steve, as opposed to the usual sort of beautifully animated, you know, seven-minute short we get before a Pixar film? This was a different take. It felt like I was being marketed to, and and I, don't, I didn't really feel like the, the audience I saw it with was that appreciative. And I know Henry, my uh, going-on 10-year-old son uh, who enjoyed Frozen, thought it was horrible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was the wrong decision to put that movie or that short, quote unquote, <laughs> before Coco for so many reasons. Like, I, I, I can't believe that that was a decision they made. I mean, that that was a, a, just a bad call. I think that, you know, giving a voice to up and coming animators, filmmakers, like with these shorts that were so excited to see things that are out of left field and just so unique and so creative and to not see one of them... uh in front of this movie, it kind of like, it kind of upset me a little bit. And, um, and not only that, I think it also, it didn't for me and I hope it doesn't for other people. Um, but I feel like it, 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 I feel like it kind of sets the bar against Coco a little bit only because, you know, when you go into a movie, especially a family movie or kids movie, you know, when you're already getting 15, 20 minutes of trailers, then you're getting a 21 minute short and whatever other commercials a theater shows you, like, you know, you're getting almost 40 minutes in the theater before the movie's even on the screen. And that's like, that's fucking ridiculous. And I think that, uh, so as its own thing, I thought the short was horrible. I didn't like the songs. I mean, the animation looked nice, I think, but I'm not the biggest Frozen fan to begin with, so it would take a lot to impress me. But, I mean, I, I go into these Pixar movies excited to see a new voice, a new filmmaker, a new idea um, something very unique and a, and a snapshot of probably some future 
filmmaker that's going to make a movie that I love and, and to not be able to see that and to see just some fucking, you know, retreaded thing that was probably supposed to be on TV or something like that in front of it. I, 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 I did not like that short at all. And I think that a lot of people don't like it. And, um, I, yeah, stop fucking trying to sell frozen 21 minutes long. It goes through the story beats of like a regular Christmas special you would watch where like Olaf learns about the holiday and then the the sisters are back at the castle learning about their family traditions. And you're sitting there watching that before you're about to watch a movie that was, I think, 110 minutes long. I mean, I think, you know, the movie is, I think, just shy of two hours. And maybe even it felt a little bit uh, like a slap in the face to have this... Um, you know, as we've said, a broader world audience film, uh, and then to put this super white bread thing <laughs> in front of it, you know, it was, uh, I don't know, it, it yeah, felt like a no. real miscalculation. That's a good point. That's a good point. So yeah, Rana, when you go to see it, just wait like 35 minutes from the post-it showtime and then go in. That is so weird. Yeah, it's 21 is minutes stupid, is man. a really long time. That's a really long time. Well, I mean, it's it's so it's such a I don't know I just feel like it's such a bad decision. Like we went when I went for the second time this past weekend, we went with like Lauren and Brian, and and they brought uh, their little girl Isla with them. And I mean, like you know, a kid being in a movie theater, three, four year old, five year old, you know, for two hours to begin with could be a challenge. But when you say, oh, like there's 15 minutes of trailers and there's a 21 minute short, you know, you're already in the seats with that kid for like 40 minutes near. And 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 at that point they're already shuffling around, and then you're like, oh well, hopefully they like Coco now that they've already wasted forty of the minutes that they had in the theater on this stupid thing. Well, has anyone uh, seen Lady Bird? No, I really want to see that. What about you, Steve? I have not. Are you interested in it, Steve, or are you afraid of Greta Gerwig? <laughs> I, I I am mildly afraid of her, but I really do want to see it. <laughs> Um, I would say, I would think you would really like it, Steve, because it's got the coming of age kind of feel. Basically goes through a year of the life of this high school senior, uh, played by, let's just say, uh, the young Miss Ronan. Um, (laughs) I mean, you know, she's very good and very naturalistic, and she's not always the most likable character. And in that way, it kind of reminded me of Jason Schwartzman uh, in Rushmore, although he's an overachiever and she's kind of not that she's the opposite right but i thought she was really relatable and uh it's just full of really great performances and characters and moments that feel sort of true i mean it's a little bit of a bland vision of what true life is but that's kind of the point that she lives in this sort of bland existence that she wants to break out of but that her fantasies of what she wants to break out of uh, or, or what she wants to escape into you know being just she wants to go to a school on the she wants to go to college on the east coast and right. she wants to be in new york it's like that's kind of a bland fantasy as well. So it's it's doing a little bit of poking fun at all the characters, but it's much more affectionate than you might think. It's not a it's not like a mean spirited comedy, but it doesn't really spare anybody's the truth of, of who they are, at least in terms of the story. Um, and I, the one thing that was kind of interesting, and if you guys had seen it, I was going to ask you this: if you felt that at moments, because this movie is ninety three minutes. And uh, could have been a lot longer in a lot of ways. I mean, again, I'm not asking for it to be longer, but it moved at such a brisk clip that it, it kind of was edited as though even the emotional beats were sort of like comic beats. So you would have a moment that kind of, you know, tugged at the heartstrings or, or got you a little bit. And it would move on from that moment just as quickly as it would move on from kind of a gag. And oh, wow. I th- right. Once it got once it got to the end, and I realized it had taken us through a year. I was like, okay, I see now kind of why that pace was important. Yeah, all that stuff felt very real, and I would say that some of the performances, in addition to Searshi uh, Ronan, uh, <laughs> who again was excellent, would be that uh, Laurie Metcalf, who you may have guessed would be really good as the mom in this. She's just amazing. But there's something about Tracy Letts who plays her father, and it's a very quiet performance and very subtle. This movie feels very naturalistic and lived in, and it's very generous with its characters. Cool. And her father's is a great example of that. So I would say, yeah, definitely see it, and I wouldn't be surprised if we end up talking about it more, um, you know, when we're wrapping up for the year. Oh, cool. Nice. But, uh, well, has anyone seen Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri? No. No. Okay, well... Shit. Um, I'll just say that Sam Rockwell and Francis McDormand do some of that that kind of work that you know they can do in this movie, and it's it's got some crazy tonal shifts in it, and it too has a hard time maybe balancing the tone of of dramatic moments with with funny moments, but it's so interesting and it's so continuously surprising that 
it really made it like well worth seeing, even with whatever misgivings I might have. Like I really loved certain things about it. And I, I can't wait actually to talk to you guys about it once uh, once you've seen it. I, I highly recommend experiencing that one. Okay, cool. Yeah, I, I want to just throw two out there. Um, these are ones I see I saw on uh, VOD that I, I wanted to see when they were in theaters. Didn't have a chance to. Um, but the first one um, was it's called Landline with. Uh, with uh, John Toro, Jenny Slade, D- uh, Jay Duplass, and I think Edie Falco. Oh yeah, I saw that. I saw that. Um, yeah, Jillian Robespierre, the girl who directed uh, *Obvious Child*, which uh, I know a few of us really liked. Um, I don't know. I just I heard about this movie a while ago. It just seemed like a really like kind of right in my lane, like mid '90s family drama comedy. You know, like the sisters find out that. The father's having an affair, and it's just about like their relationship with one another and with their family, and and where they sit in their family and and in their respective lives. Um, but yeah, I, I really dug I really dug it a lot actually, and um, not just not just for the, the the nostalgia of how amazing it was to not see a story that has any tie to like cell phones. It's it's so cool to see um, you know these sisters try to like figure out how to do things in the city in the mid nineties, you know, and, and the idea of not, I'm not seeing cell phones and like using pay phones and, um, I don't know, just like weird things like that and how, how their lives kind of intersect with one another. Um, and, and without the technology that we see today and how it so frequently contributes to bad situations and, and miscommunications and things like that. So I really liked landline and that, that's out now on, you know, I think physical disc or Blu-ray, whatever you need or VOD, um, so that's a, that's a, that's a definite good head for me. And, um, the other one I wanted to mention real quick was, uh, was Brig- Brigsby Bear. I um, love Brigsby Bear. Oh, with Kyle Mooney. Yeah, Kyle Mooney's in it. Uh, Mark Hamill's in it. Uh, there's a, it's actually pretty, pretty, I didn't realize all the people that were in it going into it. Um, but yeah, like Mark Hamill, Greg Kinnear, Matt Walsh. Uh, a couple other uh, Michaela Watkins. I don't know. Like I, I really liked Brigsby Bear a lot. Like I, I, it's an example of a movie that like I heard good things about, and I didn't really know what it was about. And I think reviews and and features that I had read on it had done a really good job of not talking about what the movie was about. So it was a great experience for me to watch it because. I genuinely experienced the like, holy shit! I had no idea this movie was about this, like. I had some other preconception off of the stuff that I had read or the trailer even that I thought the movie was going to be about and it, and it, and it wasn't at all. And I like that. Um, but I just like the idea of, I mean, in, in a very general sense, like the fish out of water idea, um, with this character played by Kyle Mooney. Um, and, and honestly, I don't really want to talk too much about it except to say that I, I really like slash loved it. And, um, I highly recommend it for anybody that's looking for a really original, creative movie uh, that has to do with um, your childhood, your innocence, your wonder, um, your connections to things from your childhood. And uh, did you tear up? Borderline. Uh, I, I I teared up a little bit. Yeah, I mean, because it it, I did it too, definitely man. it definitely plays really deeply into the things you know that you love so much that you would you know you do anything to kind of keep them in your life and you know with whatever conditions those things are presented to you and 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 you know that you come across them like it was a really cool some some really cool themes about family and friendship and obsession even and um just i don't know just like and and creativity i mean like even in the movie you know uh, the conditions going on in the movie and what the story's about there's so much creativity in it and and specifically as it falls into like a line with filmmaking um, and storytelling uh, that the character that uh, Kyle's character goes through, I don't know. It's a really really cool original like accessible movie. It's it's a little it's a little indie hipster film, I guess. You know, it's got that edge to it, but it's very accessible and uh, and and pretty funny and uh, and 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 at times very moving. And I. I highly recommend Brigsby Bear also. I loved it. I found myself seeing okay. his theme like every couple days. 
Right, right, right. Yeah, <laughs> it's so good. It's very, it's, it's very funny. Yeah, it's, it's very so funny, very, good. very catchy. Yeah, 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 I loved it. Yeah, I don't know. So of all the stuff I've seen, like those two kind of stand out. Like I finally got to see Atomic Blonde, which I thought was pretty good. Um, I saw Logan Lucky, which I really liked, and um, a couple other like caught some flicks on Netflix and things like that, but. Landline and Brigby Bear are like two that probably need for whoever is listening that, you know, maybe is looking for something out there that's on video on demand or, or Blu-ray or that you can probably pick up at whatever store you go to for physical media still. You know, just two indie films by really creative, uh, interesting voices and um, really eclectic casts and, and different faces and different voices. And I don't know, just very cool, unique movies um, to kind of catch at the end of the summer going into the award season that, you know. Hopefully they don't get lost, and, and you know if you're looking for something cool, I, I would recommend both those movies. I think that's it, Ronald. You got to get back in the game and start seeing some of these movies. I know, man. I definitely am going to try to. <laughs> got our work cut out for us, guys. So many things to see. Well, it's crazy that we're getting down to the end of the year. So, like the the next episode we do will be our sort of holiday episode, and then after that, we're getting into our best of 2017 and worst of 2017 type stuff. So, yeah, this is pretty much. We're, you know, this is pretty much it. This episode is it for us just talking about uh, movies we've seen uh, until we until we sum up the year. Do you have a general sense on how, how the year has gone uh, at this point? Um, or too soon to tell? I mean, I'm into it, man. I've seen some really good movies this year. So I'm, I'm really happy so far. And I uh, I like the variety of films that I've really loved this year. And uh, it, it's exciting that I, mm-hmm. you know, that we that we can say there's still, you know, four or five weeks of movies coming out that, you know, we can still check out and I'm sure some of them are going to be really great too. So I feel pretty good. Um, I, I have, I don't know. I have a lot of movies to see, so I, I can't really say, but yeah, I've seen some pretty good movies. Uh, Brigsby Bear is probably like in my top five this, of this year. Honestly, it's, it's, it's so unique. I think it'll stay in my mind for a couple years to come. So, well, that was episode 203. Uh, you can find us at moviesmovie.com. You can hit us up on Facebook. Um, and you can find episodes really from whatever podcast platform you prefer. But if you're on Apple Podcasts, um, we'd always recommend that you subscribe, leave a review, leave a star rating. Do anything you can to let us know what you think and to you know spread the word about Movie Schmovie. And like John said, the next couple episodes you'll be hearing will be kind of like our holiday year-end best of, worst of stuff. So it's a really exciting time. So if you can help spread the word, those would be great episodes uh, for your friends or people that you think might like Movie Movie to kind of jump in on and uh, get a sense of what what we're about and what movies we're into and the, and the ones that we also hate. Uh, so uh, that'll be coming out over the next two or three episodes. So um, as always... You've made our day. Bye.